This week in Major League Baseball, it is nickname week, and that means your favorite players are actually having on their uniforms uh, their given nickname. So if you turn on a game and you say, that's a strange uniform, and what's that on the back? That, that's what that's all about. And got me thinking about the nicknames that I've had throughout my life. And uh, when I was a kid, they just called me Chucky. I have sisters, I'm 52 years old, that still call me Chucky. Uh, more recently, when I was teaching a class in grad school at Florida State, um, I, I had a group of Korean students who asked me what my nickname was. And at the time, my son and his friends were kindly referring to me as Big Chuck, which I took as a compliment, meaning I was fit and stocky. Um, but ignorance is bliss. And needless to say, I shared that with them. And then in Korean, they repeated back to me, what that is, and they started referring to me as Kun Chung, which is Korean for Big Chuck. And, uh, and I told my graduate professor about that, the guy who was the head of my doctoral committee, and that's all he calls me now. Even when he sends me emails, he'll say, Kun Chung, how are you? And I keep trying to remind him that I'm still Chuck. Um, I was teaching at FSU because... Um, uh, there was an intercultural program in the summer, and that was one of the requirements of my program was that I teach there for a bit. And uh, the students in this intercultural program were for both Korea and Brazil, and they were in the, in the country for um, uh, a year or two to work and study. And one of the things that researchers had discovered over the years was that um, students, particularly international students who were coming to the United States, would go through a, a bit of a crisis six months to a year into their stay. And this has been proven to be true in the mission world, too, for missionaries that go overseas. And the academic cons concept is referred to as culture shock. And I have a little graph here to show you what the U of culture shock is, because we had to teach through this so that students would know what they were getting into. So they come all excited. They wanted to come. And there is a honeymoon period. For some, it's as short as a few months. Some, it's a year. But inevitably, if you change your circumstances, um, for a while, what you want is perfect. Everything's great. And then something happens where you begin to see the faults and the cracks and the different things that you don't like about it. And it's reality, really. Uh, uh, but it's called culture shock. And oftentimes, what people will do at that time is leave wherever they are and go someplace that's familiar or go someplace new again to start another honeymoon cycle. But if you'll work your way through that honeymoon and then culture shock, there's a, a period of time that is called the adjustment period where you're working on your perspectives and you're kind of just muscling your way through to a part that is known experientially as integration. And that's where you allow yourself to become part of a culture that you are now fully immersed in and you feel comfortable there. It, when we moved here nine summers ago from uh, Florida, there was a culture adjustment for us. At first, everything was beautiful about California and then there were some things I couldn't help but see all of the faults that California had. And now you muscle your way through that and you, and you get to where you are. Whether it's a new job, a new city, a new relationship, or a new church, there is this pattern in our lives. And most, many, I will say, 
if they don't have the stamina, stamina to stay through the adjustment period, they will quickly flee elsewhere and repeat the cycle again and again. And I've seen this certainly in the church world. Keep in mind that this is what you wanted. This is for when you got change that you actually desired, that you signed up for. This cycle happens even when you said, I want this new relationship, I want this new job. Now, there's an alternative to the flight from pain, which is, by grace, you persevere into this new season. And you have to really want to work your way through that. But the promise from Scripture in many ways is that there is a time where you will adjust. You'll grow into depth of relationship and relationship with your circumstances as well. In our passage today, the Ephesians were grieving for a number of reasons related to change that was being thrust upon them. The loss of the Apostle Paul, the loss of his company, the loss of his leadership, and the thought of what he was going to have to endure in the years to come. They were in the midst of this traumatic sense of loss, which was real and needs to be graved. And today, our church is experiencing something similar as our friend Brooks, who has meant so much to us and so much to our church, is moving into a new chapter of his life. And this will bring change to our collective lives. In that vein, we both thought that since this is the last message in our series, The Gospel in Real Life, it would be uh, apropos to focus on the gospel and change. The Apostle Paul had spent three years planting this church in Ephesus, a cultural center, a port city, uh, someplace very similar, I would imagine, to Los Angeles, maybe on a smaller scale. But in the Roman world, it was a, it was a happening place. And he developed deep and abiding relationships with these folks. His mission was so successful, it produced this vibrant community of believers whom he addressed at the deepest level in his letter to them, the Ephesians. As well, the Spirit of God addressed specifically this mission center in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, describing it as a church that worked hard for the gospel and patiently endured persecution and opposed heresy faithfully. The catch was that the church in Ephesus and all of its dealing with the changes that would come their way they had lost their first love. They had forgotten that what this is really all about is you and Jesus knowing relationship and you basking in his grace and love and glorifying him in the way you love him and love others. Our hope today is that in talking through this experience that the Ephesians had that we are effectively having in many ways that we would remember that the reason we have church, the reason we have had the privilege of sharing in Brooks's life is that we would know and glorify God and that when God orchestrates change in our lives, it's for the same reason, to bring about something beautiful that we can't yet see. So I have a couple of quick thoughts and then I'm going to bring Brooks up to let him reflect not only on the text but on his time in our community. And the first two thoughts I have from our section of Scripture in Acts 20 today is that change is inevitable, which may seem 
uh, obvious to you, but for those of us who don't like change, um, you, you can spend your life fighting against it. Every time something difficult happens or some thing goes on that you didn't want to happen, um, you can throw a temper tantrum and not see it as something that God has uh, ordained in your life. So we read from Acts 20, verses 20 through 24, and, and it says, as Paul addressed these Ephesians upon his departure, Now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. As you hear Paul categorize his life in terms of change, he's saying he's being compelled by the Spirit to go. And this is very consistent with what the life of a Christian disciple is. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, his great commission, go and make disciples. We are always moving somewhere, and that by nature is going to mean change is going to happen. Carolyn and I went on vacation to Montana a couple weeks ago. My new favorite stretch of American Highway is I-15 North. It's amazing what you can see from here to Montana on Highway 15. You go through the beauty of the desert. And at the right time of the day in air conditioning, that's a really beautiful thing to see. It really is. There's shapes and sizes and, you know, things that you don't see anywhere else in the world. And then you transition into Utah, this southern section of Utah where the, the mountains look like like fake because they're red rock and, and, and it's like how does that even exist and you pass through this mountain crevasse on the highway and I was seeing things that I had never seen before and it's so beautiful but we were in the same car in the same clothes the same people going somewhere means change is going to happen all around you and I have often resisted it even though there's no way to alter this in a broken world. And I have discovered that my resistance to change often is the anxiety about what I believe tomorrow will bring and how much more painful or difficult it might be. So in response to this, I fought against it foolishly, oftentimes to the harm of people because I had made something, a situation, a circumstance, a relationship too important to me. And what's driven me and encouraged me in these moments has been the words of Jesus, a peace that he wants us to have, a peace that our Father wants us to abide in. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And this is the other benefit of change. Change can serve as a barometer for our souls. We can see what's really going on in the deepest parts You can tell by your reaction. 
My angry reactions to change will provide insight about what really, really is important to me. And so while change is inevitable, if we're willing, change is also instructive. I want to read from a passage in Acts 20 that's further down from what we've already read today, but it's the conclusion, the concluding words of Paul to the Ephesians. And he takes this time with them, this painful moment in their relationship, to instruct them, a teachable moment. And he says in verse 35 of Acts 20, And everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul used the words of the Lord Jesus to compel them to look at the benefit of letting him go with peace. He quotes Jesus saying, there is more blessing in giving than receiving to motivate the Ephesians to see the joy that is coming their way as he is let go, as he is given to the Lord's work. Paul even sees this in light of his own life. He's talking about how he's going to, he knows that sacrifice and pain, that he's giving his life for the Lord. And there's more joy in him giving this life. He, He doesn't see any value to his life, he says, compared to the joy that is having his life given over to the gospel's sake. He understands there's more joy in giving than receiving. It was painful, true. It was painful for Paul and for the Ephesians. Paul would be missed. But we can learn something by the measure of our grief and the sinful responses to it. Whether our love for something is properly placed. I mean, I think it's really important for us to grieve, to grieve in a healthy way. But I think also there's this chance we have to be able to know whether or not we have clung to something that is leaving our lives and we have made it something it really shouldn't be. I love to use this chapel as an example of that. Uh, we love this place. Uh, we own this place now. We're at least we're paying it off for the next 20 years. But uh, we put our own sweat and blood into this joint. We, we have fixed up much of it ourselves. Um, there are people that have literally given the skin off of their fingers, putting chemicals and trying to take paint off of concrete. You know, there, there, there's a lot of love in this place. There's a lot of history in this place. But there could be one day in the future where, because of the number of people that want to worship at our church, we need to have our worship services on Sunday somewhere else. Then we're going to find out whether or not we're clinging to this place in an unhealthy and unnatural way. Whether we can see that giving up whatever it is that we cling to here is going to, there's more joy in letting go and moving to wherever it is that God may be taking our church. How will I react to that change? How will you? Will it be with that perspective that God is in control and guiding all of our lives for the purpose of drawing us closer to him and producing a joy in us that is more about giving than receiving.
There is grief. And I'll, and I'll say it's, it's healthy. Many have already shed tears today. And that's a good thing. And if you're grieving, you, you need not resist that. Burying your pain is unhealthy. And it produces the equivalent of what I would call soul acne, which is when you take grief and you bury it in the pores of your life. And what happens is, is after a while... The pain that wasn't grieved bubbles up and produces something unattractive. See, you, you, you have to let it out. And this is where the psalmist has encouraged us. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, in grief, we have an opportunity to see, to do an analysis of our souls. We we come seeking comfort from the Lord over something that is healthy to be grieving over, but we have the opportunity while we're there in the presence of the Lord, seeking his presence for healing or for relief to ask more questions. Lord, is there something else that needs to be done in my life? I've heard testimony akin to what happened to my sister a number of times. And my sister, Lisa, when we lived as young people in the Washington, D.C. area, she was married. I was single. Um, she was pregnant and was having trouble in her first trimester. And we went to the, she and her husband went to the hospital, and it was discovered that she actually wasn't pregnant. Um, she had a cancer mass in her uterus. And it's called a molar pregnancy. It's really rare. But we've often thought it was a real gift of grace that she went to the hospital to have one thing diagnosed and was discovered it was an opportunity to really find out what was wrong and what was broken. And God knows us well enough to know that there are times in our lives where we won't seek out his counsel about our souls apart from something that would cause grief in our souls And we come to him, and if we'll allow it, that is really another opportunity to have something beautiful happen where he can say, while you're here at the hospital, let's talk about this other thing. Or let's see what's really going down and what's going on down deep in your soul. And this is how change can be instructive. We've got some exciting times ahead of us as a church this fall. As you see, and Brooks will talk a little bit about this in a minute, Brooks and I have been working on our teaching and preaching thing for this fall. We were doing it long before he was called to Tennessee to to love a family, to love a wife and kids. And, and, And it's amazing to me that we're moving into this next series at a time where Practically speaking, we couldn't use this more than we can, than we we will. It's it's going to be a remarkable season of church life, that is only made possible by the removal of somebody who has been serving our church faithfully for as many years as Brooks has been. It's it will require the rest of us to step into many of these gaps that are left behind. It's really it's going to be amazing. I'm really encouraged, while I'm also sad. It's at this time I'm going to ask my brother Brooks to come up and say, you know, tonight some of you will get an opportunity to briefly, we're going to encourage you to keep your thanks to two minutes, but we're going to let people uh, share where God has touched them in some way, how God has blessed them through Brooks' relationship and ministry. But I can say on behalf of our elders and really 
the staff of our church and me as the pastor of our church that uh, it's been the greatest privilege I've had to have Brooks serve with me. And uh, as he and I have joked a number of times, and I've told our church last hour, you know, uh, I was three years into the Prism Church plant, and I was really tired of spending a lot of time alone. I'm an extrovert, and church planters in churches that start from scratch spend a lot of time by themselves. And I was out there in that garage all by my lonesome many a day, and... And I, and I just needed a partner, and at just the right time, the Lord sent somebody who I could learn from, who I could be encouraged by. Um, I joke, you know, that Brooks had said when he came, he wanted to go someplace where he could leverage all his gifts, and I was so desperate for a partner. I'm like, come, do whatever you want. I mean, I really was just so glad to have somebody in the trenches uh, and starting a church together. So it's been just a blessing. I've learned so much from him, and uh, we'll miss him on many, many levels. Too many to count here. But thank you. Thank Thank you for everything. No, I appreciate it. It's time for you to reflect not only on our passage today, but really for our church's benefit um, on the time you've had here and what you'd like to share as you you depart on your love ship to Tennessee. All right. Well, (laughs) that's one way to start this Do you like that characterization, Laura? Okay, thank you, hon. Well, I'll, I'll start with this. I think I probably have two main reflections from, from the text today. Um, Los Angeles, we all know, is a very transient transient place, and that can be discouraging relationally, especially in ministry. I've used the language of you learn to love deeply and hold loosely, right? And that can give us the tendency, even in the church, to not fully engage, to see this as kind of a, a holding pattern, almost at times, and, and what struck me afresh in the text today, as I reflected on it this week, ironically, Paul was there for three years, and since he was leaving, he knew the church could think, well, then what were we just kind of not your real deal, you're just waiting for something else, and Paul makes a point to say, you know that I worked with you and for you day and night, the big idea being, I was fully present with you at the time that I was there. And that would be one of my encouragements to you guys, especially in Los Angeles. No matter what you think the next season will be for your life, whether you're at Caltech and you'll graduate in a year or two or whatever it is, be fully present here now. There is ministry for you to do here right now. Uh, Somebody once wrote somewhere, um, the way we live our days is, of course, the way we live our lives. And James says, you think you have plans in a year? You have no idea what the Lord might do with your life. It is arrogant to say, I got the next five years planned out. Rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this and that. But today is immensely significant. There are people in this church. There are people in Pasadena. There are people in Los Angeles that God has appointed you to minister to. That's what Paul said. I worked day and night for the time I was here. I didn't even really care about my life. All I cared about was, where is my ministry at right now? It's not, am I living in the right place, in the right season right now to fulfill all of my deepest desires? It's, what ministry do I have here? That was his primary concern. I said um, last service, I mean, if, if the only thing on your plans today was to go buy a carton of milk, it would be eternally significant today. 
because you would be interacting with an eternal image bearer of God. Every interaction that you have in this season was ordained by God. Um, Lewis wrote somewhere um, in, in The Weight of Glory that you've never met a mere mortal. You've only met one of two beings, both eternal. One that if you could see what they would soon be, you would be strongly tempted to worship because they'll be so beautiful. Or one that would be a horror to look at. And God has decided that the people who are in your sphere of influence, you are to be a minister of reconciliation to make sure of it that they're on the, the former one of that. That is weighty. So be present where you're at. Don't, hopefully many of you will be here for a long time. If you're not, don't look back and think, I wasted that. There are times I wish I would have dug in more in places. I feel that all already. You know, God has been good. And I, there's been a lot of sweet ministry here together. As many of you know, I didn't know anybody when, when I moved out to prison. And so this is my life. This is, this is my world. And so I feel, I feel this deeply. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one thing. It's, it's not, um, am I living in the perfect place right now and what does next year bring? But what is my ministry today? So, anyways. The Lord said to the Samaritan woman at the well and to the disciples who had come back, you say the harvest in six months, but I'm saying right now, right now. the Hold harvest is ready. Yeah. Right. So I thank you for being here. Yeah. And I got, you know, as I said before, I, that you've done that, I think, very well. And I felt that, you know, the, because I needed somebody yeah. who would be here with me. Yeah. So I appreciate that. No, I, I appreciate it as well. It's amazing to, to see what the Lord has done. And as Paul, uh, as Paul, yes, that's quite an upgrade. Thank you. <laughs> um, the Apostle Paul here. As, as Chuck was saying, our, our, our next sermon series is on our spiritual gifts and how do we use them for the benefit of the church. We've been working on this for a long time before Laura and the kids were ever on my radar. And it's not an accident. No. God has been orchestrating things. And so press into this next season. Dig deep in going low in service to others. Um, yeah. What else do I have? I have something here in my notes, but I am so all over the place today. I also said, oh yeah, this is it. I'm amazed by the final words that, that the Apostle Paul has to him. It's got that papyrus sort of look to it. <laughs> you know? It does. It's in Greek, too. That's interesting. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So, his final words to the Ephesians, what, what would they be? I mean, he, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians that is dense with theology. So is he going to give us some profound explanation of the atonement or predestination or something like this? Is, is this what he's going to leave them with? And, and, and he doesn't. He gives them the very practical upshot of knowing the deeper stuff, which is this. It is better to give than to receive. That's the final word that he wants them to have. Live in light of the gospel. And that's what I want to leave you guys with. Nothing is more winsome of a witness when we are a people who know how much grace God has given us. That, that we live in light of the gospel. That when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That there was once a dividing wall of hostility between us and home. 
and Christ came and tore it down. So because of that, we should be a people of glad-hearted generosity with our lives. And the secret is, that's actually the path to the deepest joy. It's a paradox. It's how God designed it. It is better to give than to receive. And that's, of course, not just financial. Paul wouldn't be that simple-minded. It's everything. And so that's my encouragement to you guys. In this season today, give. Give of yourself. Give of your resources. See who is weak in your life that needs help. And live in light of the gospel. And see if people aren't compelled. See if that aroma isn't different in Los Angeles. Right? So. That's great. You, um, obviously, over the next years, you and Laura will get to digest what you've both experienced in the last couple of years and how that has worked together to bring you together and, you know, what your and her experiences apart from each other have done to kind of shape and form life. And, and I, I am curious, just preliminarily, as you look at why God had you here for three years and how that is, have you, do you see any way where that might have already, you're seeing that that might be preparing you yeah. for the years ahead? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting um, how literally God called me into the desert three years ago. And, and it's turned out to be a, a parable of sorts as well. It's, it's been a hard season. Um, it's been a dry season at times um, with a lot of joy as well. But something I've learned really practically is when God is going to do something meaningful and profound, not just in your life, but in you, he'll lead you through a desert often. He will teach you to thirst and then teach you where food is really found. I, I love where Deuteronomy 8, when he's encouraging the Israelites after they've been in the wilderness for so long, he says, I, uh, I fed you with manna that you did not know. This was not the food that you would have been asking for. I would have liked cotton candy when I came out. I would have liked it to be easy. I would have liked to have been a lot of things. Um, but when God is doing a deep work in our lives, he sometimes leads us through hard seasons. And so what I would encourage you with even right now is if, if you're in a hard season, don't despise the desert. Um, God does deep work in here. And now as I look ahead to what I'm stepping into, I mean, I, I now have a real category, even before marriage, of giving yourself to a people and staying because of the call, <laughs> um, which has been... And I don't think that's the wrong way. That's only been the exception with you guys. But there have been times where it was hard. Well, especially as a single guy. Right. You know, I mean, it's just hard to be a single pastor anywhere. <laughs> right. But then to be in a place that is potentially one of the more lonely places in the world right. where you have 10 million people but you don't know your neighbor's name, you know, this kind of environment does not necessarily um, breed um, particularly if you have any introversion, you know, where you yes. like actually prefer to be Which alone and you need others to pull you out. So Absolutely. you've been in a role where you've been building community and, uh, and, but yeah. yeah, God's been really faithful. Yeah. And it's none of it is lost on me. I know that the Lord has been doing this and I just, I just love you guys. You were my people when I came out. I mean, just a small little church plant. And now this is, this is our world. This is our life. So this isn't a small change for me, but God has done this. This is, this is one of the verses we always go back to, how um, we lift up our eyes and say, look at what the Lord has done, and it is a marvel to us. And so, um, yeah, anyways. Well, I'm particularly grateful, and tonight we invite you to come out. I'd wear shorts. The temperature will be in the high 80s uh, at dinner time. Uh, but also, if you want to prepare... Um, 
something to share. Uh, I know I can speak for Brooks in this way, and then that is that we do what we do because we want to know the Lord is working. And so if the Lord has blessed you in some way through Brooks's influence and you can share that with him, that would be invaluable encouragement to him as he goes to a new land and develops a new people and is called to sacrifice and give at even deeper levels. Um, he would need to know that the Lord um, is faithful to work through that kind of sacrifice. So if you'd come prepared to offer that, I'd appreciate it. And uh, Let me say one final thing. I didn't say this um, last service, but it, it is something I do want to share. I want, I want to thank you guys for, for your, your grace towards me. I mean, I was, I was so green when I came out. I had preached three times, and they weren't good. Um, and so I, I've cut my teeth on the pulpit here, certainly. Um, and people have been very kind and encouraging. And so just thank you for that, to let me be clumsy at times in ministry and, and work it out on the go and, and to believe in me and to entrust me with your life and your souls. And it has just been, I can't think of a higher honor. So, truly. I'm going to ask my brother Chris to come. Chris is one of our elders, and he's going to pray for Brooks and Laura and the kids. And and then uh, we're going to have time singing and response to the gospel and communion but let's go before the Lord together and ask for his blessing on our brother oh Lord uh, we come to you uh, this morning Uh, you have uh, brought us uh, into a place of change and uh, that isn't easy for us Uh, it's uh, it's not necessarily natural, uh, but it is, uh, it is your working. And uh, despite uh, some of the sadness that we may experience, some of the grieving, uh, we give this day to you. Uh, dear Lord, you preordained all things, and so you look on this day and you knew it was coming. And so we give you glory, we give you praise for what you have done. Uh, for what these three years have meant for our church, for what they've meant for Brooks, uh, for what they've meant for individuals sitting here today, the the learning that they've experienced, the love that they've experienced. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for that work that you have done through Brooks's life. And dear Lord, we lift up his life to you today. Uh, dear Lord, we... Uh, Pray that an abundance of grace may fall upon him, uh, that as he uh, starts a new venture, as he becomes a part of a new family, that uh, his love may be uh, fully uh, transparent in everything that he does, that uh, your love may be clear to all those around him. Dear Lord, we pray for his new family. We pray for uh, the future days, the change that will take place, that uh, through it you will be working, dear Lord. We know you will. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this church, for the way that we do everything to glorify you. We pray that we may stay steadfast in that venture. All this we pray in your name.